Welcome, ladies, to the Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa. So on today's episode, ladies, we have Rachel Richards. She at 27 years old, 27, <laughs> retired and is living, living off her passive income that is around $10,000. So we had to have her on the show. <laughs> and uh, we had such a great interview with her. I think what you're going to appreciate a lot in this interview is that we get into specifics, which I know women love. Get into the specifics. So we talk about her first deal and how much money she put down, her deal criteria, her market criteria. How did she choose the market she's in? And then we talk a little bit about how she then added upon that and how she propelled herself to owning, uh, I think, six properties and 40 doors to, uh, to get her to that goal. Yes, absolutely. And one thing that we talked about uh, with Rachel is success, right? We don't measure success based on, on the number of doors. She was able to retire and do whatever she wants to do with her life. In her case, she's writing books and doing other things for, for women in the financial field. Uh, and that's something that we don't talk too much on, on our industry, right? So for all the ladies out there, they either you really like your job, but you still see the potential in real estate or for you that you really want to know have passive income coming in, but your your passion is painting or or doing something else. Uh, she shares something very important that we all should really embrace: that your success you determine how it looks like, so you can live life on your own terms. Enjoy this episode. Welcome back, ladies. This is Liz, and this is Andressa. Welcome back to the Real Estate Investor Show. We're so excited to have Rachel Richards on our show this week. Rachel, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for having me. We are in a very, very, very big mission to support women globally to live a financially free and balanced life. And your story is so inspiring. Uh, I'm selfishly so intrigued with how you created this wealth for yourself at such a young age. So really, really amazing story. We're going to jump into Rachel's story in a moment. Uh, before we go there, we always like to connect with all of you, our, our amazing women who listen and men. We know men like our show too, which we love you too. Um, but uh, uh, we'd like to connect with you, you know, share something that's coming up for us that could be helpful to you on on your journey. That's what this is about, really. Uh, so, Andressa, Andressa's turn this week. So, oh. Andressa, what, what is coming up for you? What is happening? You know, I, this is a message for all the overachievers out there. I oh, feel geez. I don't know any of those, Andressa. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and there's something that I, I learned from Liz, and then I exercise very often, Liz. I don't think I told you this, no. but here you go. Okay. So I learned something from Liz a uh, long time ago. Um, good, um, best, uh, good, better, or and best, right? So everything that I normally do, I want to do my best because I heard, oh, you always do your best on, on things. Therefore, it takes time and it needs to be quote unquote high level and without any flaws. However, I learned something from, from Liz that not everything needs to be your best. Your good is enough and your better is enough. It really depends on what you're working on, right? I feel that a lot of the women that I get in contact with the you know, Facebook community, they, they're either getting started or 
are wanting to take their business to the next level, they want to have this perfect, completed plan before they take the first step. And I am telling you, just get used to be good enough. This is good enough for me to take the first step, right? This script to call the, the, the buyer is good. The seller of the house is good enough. And then you can improve upon that. Because if we get stuck on getting, uh, on having force to be, or to do our best at all times, it kind of delays our our progress, and uh, I'm telling you, it's like liberating. So sometimes I tell us, "Listen, um, this year is good enough for now." And, and I'm it's so, so proud. funny you say that because I have to. <laughs> I want to get back to you on something that we're working on, and I was going to use those words, like I, you know, just just using those words together, right? Because it's yeah. so helpful. Because we we come at things with such excellence, right? And I think a lot of women do. And, and that's amazing and that's great, but it, it sometimes can be a little overwhelming, right? Because we just mm -hmm. want to be perfect, right? Exactly, so. especially when we have a lot of things on our plate, which yes, I'm sure you guys also have a lot on, yeah. on your plate. So just ask yourself, this is good enough, this is better, this is best, and be okay with it. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's a mental it's a mental exercise to just like, okay, I'm good with this the way that it is. And I can improve upon in the future if I feel that there is a need to. Otherwise, we're good. <laughs> I love that. Good <laughs> reminder. We'll be, we'll be chatting more about that later, yes. right? You and I. Yes. <laughs> um, so without further ado, Rachel, we always like to um, ask the women we, we interview here on our show, uh, you know, what propelled you to get involved in real estate investing? Um, there's a lot of things people could do, right? So what was it about this particular business and this particular investment strategy that pulled you in, if you will, or if it, or if it found you wherever, however your path un unraveled, so to speak, but what propelled you to get involved in this, uh, in this business? Yeah, I have been a little bit of a finance nerd my whole life, <laughs> and I remember reading this book actually as early as sixth grade. It was I found this book called The Molly Fool's Guide for Teens, How to Have More Money Than Your Parents Ever Dreamed Of, something Ooh. like that, and I remember being at this summer camp, and all my friends were going down this water slide, and I was sitting at the edge of the pool reading this book, <laughs> and it really sparked a fire in me because I was like, yeah, that sounds great, so I think I really began to take finance seriously even at such a young age and as I grew older and had some job experiences I think that's when I really was like you know I don't see myself being satisfied and fulfilled in the nine to five I read the rich dad poor dad book by Robert Kiyosaki in high school and that was like really eye-opening for me my initial plan was to buy a single family house every year for 15 years all on 15-year mortgages and so I figured after that 15 year period, they'd all start getting paid off. That's when I would kind of retire and become financially independent. So my initial plan was to achieve that in my thirties, but things went a lot faster once I got started and I was able to quit my job and retire last year at the age of 27. Okay. Wow, so let's let's break that <laughs> down, right? Yeah, yeah, you go, Jessica, you go. Let's dissect that because not a lot of um, young adults are reading Rich Dad Poor Dad right now, which I think it should be like a must in high school, even like high school, not even in college, because um, then they, they're going to say, I don't know if I want to go to college after they, they read <laughs> yeah, that, true. right? That might be a problem. So I, I'm just curious. 
your that the book made made you was so transformational for you that made for not force you but inspire you to take that path or your what was like your parents story how mm -hmm. did you get really get into because there is a difference between getting inspired and really taking action so i'm, yes. I'm very curious about the action part Yeah, there were definitely a couple of things. So another thing growing up is that I, I grew up in a very wealthy county. And just to give you an example, there were kids in my high school that when they turned 16, they were getting brand new BMWs. Um, my family was not operating that way. I mean, we were always on a budget. We, we barely went on vacations, let alone even going out to eat at a restaurant. So from a young age, I really felt that I didn't fit in. And that's not the way you want to feel in middle school and high school. I remember thinking to myself that I don't want to end up like everyone else struggling with money. I don't want to have to be on a budget for the rest of my life or to, or to borrow money from family and friends to make it to my next paycheck. I wanted to be different. And that's why I took it so seriously at a young age. So there's that aspect of it. And then there's just some of these job experiences. Um, I worked for a really cruel woman for about a year who just was emotionally abusive to her employees. I mean, just really demeaning, condescending. I'm a confident woman and I was even years ago. So for her to make me really lose my self-esteem and self-confidence was really saying something. So she made me cry a couple times, of course. And I remember one of the times going to the bathroom to clean up and just looking at myself in the mirror and thinking, I'm never going to let an employer treat me this way again. I'm never going to feel trapped in a job again. And that's when I was thinking about the real estate investing stuff I'd learned and thought to myself, it's time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start looking for properties now. I love what you're saying. Not I love that you were in the bathroom crying by any means. Because <laughs> um, that, that type of leader sounds like just someone who just should get slapped up upside the head a few times. But unfortunately, that, that's a leadership style, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I used to have a woman who um, was my boss for many years until I, 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 you know, stopped working. And she was a really empowering leader. And, that, you know, it's how I see women. But yeah, not, unfortunately, not all of them are created equal. But I, well, I say that I'm what an interesting situation is that I, I feel like the women listening, we have these negative experiences, whether it's work, money, and we really have two choices. We can either use it for like good, you know, use it to propel us or use it to keep us where we are. And, you know, literally we can all look at our lives today and say, what is going on for me in a negative way or in a positive way? And those negative things actually could propel us much further than the, then sometimes the positive ones mm -hmm. because they, they have this emotional connection. So you were like, you made a decision in that bathroom. You were very specific. You know, now you are also a confident woman. You've read all this book. You're a finance nerd. You grew up in the, you know, in this neighborhood that you had a lot of like, okay, I'm going to, I'm not going to be on a, like, so you were like, this is all adding to your story. Right. And mm -hmm. then this thing happened. And so, it's, uh, you know, it's just fascinating. And I think it's something we all could take from the negative things, you know, like let's make, we can make a choice and for good, we can make a choice for just to stay where we are. It's really a choice. Yeah. And I, I really agree. I think fear can be either very paralyzing or very motivating. And for me, it motivated me where I was like, it's time to take action. So you're in your 20s. Tell us about the first deal you, you did. My first deal was in 2017. So I think I was 24 at the time. Um, we had been looking for a property for nine months. 
And I say that because we had made several offers that didn't work out. We had contracts even that fell through because of bad inspections. And there were so many times where I could have been like, oh man, maybe this isn't for me. You know, this isn't working. I'm not finding the deal and so forth. But we stuck with it and we finally found the most amazing deal after nine months. And I share that because you really need to be patient. It's a long process. It's hard to find good deals. Be patient and don't settle. You know, don't settle for something that's less than your kind of your minimum requirements. You will find a deal. It's just a matter of time. So our first deal was a duplex in Louisville, Kentucky. That's where all of our properties are located. It was, we had a couple things going for us in terms of how, how did we come up the, with the money for the down payment? Um, first of all, I paid my way through school selling Cutco cutlery. Have you guys heard of Cutco knives? <laughs> my husband used to sell it and we have what it in my this? kitchen. It's yeah. a, um, you could probably sell it better than me, Rachel. <laughs> It's a really like high end yeah. uh, American knife. made, yeah. American made okay. knife. It collects door to door to sell it? Um, almost. It was by referral. So I okay. started out with family and friends and then asked for referrals. But yeah, I mean, my parents were definitely not thrilled about the idea of me selling sharp objects to <laughs> family and friends, but they're that's sharp. What I did. They stay sharp. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So the good thing about that is that I paid my way through school. I graduated without debt. So I wasn't burdened by huge student loans. And same thing with my husband. He is a veteran. So he used his military benefits to pay for his school. So we both didn't have student loans, which helped us save a lot more than I think the average, you know, 22 year old. Um, then we also were investing, like I said, in Louisville, Kentucky, which is a great market, great rental market, reasonable prices. I think anywhere in the Midwest is a great place to invest. And then the third thing that helped us actually scale really quickly is that I had my real estate license and I didn't have it for the purpose of being an agent or having clients. I only ever had it for my own purposes as an investor. But the great thing about that is we would deplete our savings with every purchase, but then I would immediately get a commission check back for thousands of dollars and that would kickstart the savings for the next down payment. So I think that's the biggest factor in how we were able to scale so quickly. Wow. One thing that I want to mention, I don't want to pass this and I want to really highlight one thing that you said that during the period that you guys were looking for your first deal to do not settle for, for nothing less than your criteria. So here's a very important thing for all of you ladies that are looking for your first deal. You must have criteria. Otherwise, you don't know what you're looking for. If you find it, you don't know that that's what it is because you don't have those criteria. So, Rachel, talk to me about the criteria that you used in order to find your property. Because if you don't have those, you are looking for something that looks like a deal. And then the pressure of getting a deal under contract will kick in because emotionally you're like, I'm just going to do it. Right. And then just go without like, okay, I'll pray that everything is going to be okay. <laughs> right. But talk to me, Rachel, about specifics. What were your criteria? I was pretty open to location. I, I just wanted to be able to drive there within 30 minutes. And in Louisville, Kentucky, you can pretty much do that anywhere. Um, but the, I would say the only caveat to that is that I didn't want to be in 
like a high crime part of town because if I was going to go to the properties alone, I wanted to feel safe. So there were certain areas I avoided. Um, condition didn't matter to me. We were willing to put some sweat equity into it to fix it up. Number of units didn't matter to me. We were open to investing in one to four units um, and we wanted to stay at least under five though because we wanted to avoid commercial loans starting out. So we were hoping mm -hmm. to get a conventional loan. But then in terms of the numbers and sort of the really hard requirements. There were two things I typically looked at. First, the amount of cash flow. I wanted to be profiting at least two to three hundred dollars per door. So that was number one. And then number two was the cash on cash return on investment. The way I was thinking about it was, hey, I could probably make eight to 10% in the stock market in the long run. So if I find a deal that's only gonna give me a cash on cash ROI of eight to 10%, it was like, well, why, like, what's the point? I mean, it would be more work. I could just put my money in the stock market. So my initial goal was to aim for a 12% ROI. And that's what I was looking for. All of our properties in Louisville, Kentucky at this point have been anywhere between 15 to 25%. So they've all actually been a lot better than we hoped. And I, I even think that that initial duplex we bought had a cash on cash return of something like 18%. And when we first bought it, it was cash filling about $500 per month in profit. So it definitely hit our criteria. And I had the confidence to say, okay, we're gonna make an offer on this ASAP. You said, and that's great, and, and you said a moment ago that Louisville is a great market. So tell us what, what a great market looks like to you. Because I think that's a big thing out there, right? This is a great market, this is a great deal. And then, you know, people are just, what, what makes a great market? You know, and, and you know that, and I know that, or Justin knows that, but I don't know if everyone has that like quick to the, you know, to their fingertips so they can say, mm -hmm. especially if it's not, if it is 30 minutes or not 30 minutes, you know, to their, from their home. Well, here's what I think is not a great market is any pretty much anywhere in California, um, Washington, D.C., Chicago, New York City. I mean, some of these cities that are so expensive, you can invest there because it's going to require a two hundred thousand dollar down payment. And that cuts out like ninety nine percent of the people that want to invest. I mean, I've never had two hundred grand for a down payment. So I always encourage people. It's OK to be a long distance landlord. I am now we, we moved to Colorado earlier this year, so I'm now experiencing it myself. And what I'm finding, because there was a lot of fear around that, like, oh, my sure. gosh, I'm going to be across the country. I, I have family in Louisville, Kentucky, so I think that's great. But it was still scary. What we found is that it's actually been a lot easier to manage because when we were living in Kentucky, we were running down to our property two or three times a week. Right. It was total pain. Um, now that we're in Colorado, we're forced to delegate that and we're forced to be a lot more efficient in the way that we're, we're managing our rentals. So I would say, you know, look for a market that you can afford and that just tends to be the Midwest. It's always low, the lowest prices. Also consider a city where you have family or somebody you know or trust, even just have a couple contacts will help you kind of get started so that's what i would look for i love what you're saying that you know because a lot of people i am in philadelphia right i am in the middle of the city we don't have multi-families like legal multi-families to say the least for those of you that know philadelphia we have tons of small multi and legally they are not so you when you're going to buy them and then you see the zoning and everything else the lender is not going to land based on unless you do a zoning um change or uh adjustment to to it otherwise it is a single family it's gigantic and it's been run by you know different different um landlords in the past but that's the case so 
if if I'm looking for um, bigger units, I need to get out. And you were saying something so important. It's kind of like you made it easier because you must delegate. You must put things in place. And I think that when you have it on your backyard, it's it's easier to do not let go. It's easier for us to do it ourselves. I'm not, but I'm right here. Let me just go <laughs> and do that. And I think that you know, having in different places, it allows us to really grow our business and and scale. That's that's what it comes down to. So you're you're talking about having somebody that either your family member or uh, somebody that can look at it. I, I'm sure you have a property, a local property management that takes care of your properties or how you're handling that part. So sort of, I actually have a funny or maybe not funny story when it comes to property management, but definitely <laughs> one, one of the biggest mistakes I've ever made. So do you guys want me to share that? Yes, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah. It's mistakes. a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, when we first started looking for a property manager and this was I think we were 26 units in at this time. Um, we own almost 40 units, like 40 doors now. We were both still working full time and I was writing my books in the evenings. So it became a matter of time and not being able to manage them on our own anymore. So it was time to look for a property management company. Now we had this couple that had been working for us doing things like cleaning the common areas, some of the maintenance, um, talking to the tenants, but they were just they were very trustworthy. They always went above and beyond really some of the hardest working people I knew. So we were like, well, you know, what if we hired them and gave them a chance and made them employees? That way we can be a little bit more hands on with how we are managing them and probably save a little bit of money. So we decided to do that. Okay, that's that is the huge mistake because it all started out great. But then about six months in things went very downhill. My husband went to the properties one Saturday to collect rent from the online, uh, from the on-site drop, drop boxes, and he realized there was a lot of rent missing. It wasn't just the normal tenant paying late, it was a significant chunk. So, of course, we're calling this couple, calling our employees, what's going on? They're totally MIA. Uh, they stole $6,000 of rent just that weekend. And we found out that they had been squatting in vacant rooms on our properties for at least a year. So extremely big wake up call. It wasn't funny then. It's funny now. But, right. Exactly. Yeah. When we were going through, it was like, nope, this is not funny. I don't see yeah. anybody laughing. Right. I mean, it's almost embarrassing to share because I feel like I was just so naive and my, sometimes my flaw, cause I'm a very frugal person, I'm a finance person. My flaw can be to be too frugal and cheap and to cut corners. And that's the mistake I made. Mm -hmm. um, really the moral of the story is that we should have hired a licensed, bonded, insured, qualified property management company. Because if we had done that and one of their employees had done that to us, they would have been liable for the damages, not us. So I share that story because I hope that somebody else can avoid my mistakes. <laughs> Yeah, I can't. I can't relate at all. Being frugal and cheap, um, but no, I'm totally joking. I'm like, I'm, I'm just as laughing, right? But I am. I'm too that way, and I think it does. It gets in your way uh, because it can. Uh, it can prevent you from making the right decisions, you know, because you see the savings. But it really doesn't save you any money. That actually didn't save you any money. That cost you more. Right. It cost right? us mean, a lot more money. So you know, it's just funny because at times that we've lost money, and you know. Uh, it just the zeros have increased, right? And sometimes you're just like, God, you're embarrassed. 
You're embarrassed mm-hmm. to say that this happened. There's a, there's multiple things that we've done that I'm embarrassed to say. Oh, but at the can, end, we can start in like chronological or alphabetical order. <laughs> yeah, no, Here. no, please. I need a lot of time for that. But <laughs> the point being is the, you know, you really look back and go, where was this decision being made from? So for the ladies listening who are frugal, and a lot of investors are, right? They want the best deal. They want the, you know, I don't think that's like a far cry that there's a lot of us that are, are frugal and kind of like cheap in some ways. I wouldn't say that about Andressa though. She, that's why she's a great uh, partner come for on, me. Come you're on. not cheap. You're not, you're not frugal from the, you're, you'll spend when you think it's important and you've, yes. dragged, you've dragged me that way, you know? So it's that, good. That's I right. Mean, I'm just like, I don't think that like, for example, when I look at my family, my, I have a sister that um, she she invests a lot. Sometimes she she comes home, you know, it, it, with like a piece of like a bag, and I look, oh, it's a nice bag, and she tells me how much she paid for that bag, and I was like, no way in hell I'll right. pay for that. Yeah, so you that, part, that. Uh, that no. part, no, 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 no. But you spend where you need to spend. And I think yeah. that's something to be said for. And yeah, it's just something we have to learn. But I, I love what that, I love that that didn't stop you, right? So, so that happened on which, which property in your trajectory here? Where, where did that happen again? It was actually the very last property we bought. We bought all okay. six of our buildings in 2017 and 2018. Okay. And trust me, I definitely had a moment where I was like, oh my gosh, we, we never should have done this. I yeah. mean, what have we done? We need to get, we need to sell everything. <laughs> but it was just that initial emotional panic and really that violation, the breaking of, of trust. It was a lot, it was a lot emotionally. Yeah. But once we managed everything, took everything back over and got it back up in really good working order, we were like, yeah, th- this is fine. I mean, that was really a blip in the long run and we can move past this. And look at the lesson you learned. I mean, yes. and there'll be, there'll be all, there'll be more lessons, right? Cause you're, I mean, you know, but it's like, you took that for good, right? You had that choice. I could either jump ship or I'm going to build this thing and I'm going to clean it up and we're going to make this thing work. And now look at you, right? You're in Colorado, you're managing your stuff in Louisville. So tell us about the numbers. How much money did you put down on the first property? So we had been saving for a couple of years by then, or a few years. We both put $10,000 in okay. from our savings. It was a $100,000 duplex. So that okay. got us to our 20% down payment. Got it. Um, how much work did you need? A lot of work or was it a, was it a real- So one side was rented and in good condition. The other side was uninhabitable. Um, so we definitely had, I mean, even the foundation was sinking. Mm-hmm. So we had to have that lifted. It was a pretty big renovation job and- that was the very first property we did. So we didn't have any experience, but we did a couple things, right. That I don't think I even was intentional about doing it, but we, we definitely got quotes from at least three contractors. You, you definitely want to do that. Um, get a sense for how much people are quoting. You don't just go with the first quote that you get because it feels cheap. So we got good quotes. We went with a contractor we liked. And here's the thing we did well, even when we were working full time and had everything else going on, we would show up at the property every single day every single day, no matter what. Sometimes I bring Gatorade. Sometimes I bring bagels for people so that they like me, but um, it was good because- Here's some cookies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. do a good job. (laughs) Um, It was good though, because they knew that the owners were coming every day and they knew they better be doing a good job, better be working hard and they better be there working when we came. So it it kind of held them accountable and our project got done on time with really no hiccups. So that was a really great thing. That's awesome. (laughs) 
So for for all the the ladies that are listening to us and they're also working full time right now, right? As you were at that time. And they are looking for this magical day that they're like, see ya, I'm out of here because I have this portfolio that I want to work on and I want to increase. The there is a, a big big space between A and B, and I want to know from you. First of all, how did you determine, or how did you prepare yourself for that quote unquote retirement? How did you evaluate how much you needed in, in, in savings if you had any savings? Because some some people say, oh, it sounds great, but I um, I have responsibilities and I want to make sure that I take care of those responsibilities. So before you took the leap of faith and went for it, what were the steps that you 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 put in place in order to make that decision with uh, confidence? For me, it was all about passive income. Prior to 2017, we didn't have any passive income. That was the year we started investing in real estate. And then I wrote and published my first best-selling book, Money Honey. So we had these two passive income streams, rental income and royalty income. And we focused on growing those as much as we possibly could over the next few years. My initial goal was, hey, once I once I um, have as much money as I'm making from my full-time job, once I replace my full-time income, that's when I'll quit. That actually happened in 2018. And I had a lot more mental barriers than I thought when it came to actually going through with it. I knew it was going to be hard, but it took me almost an entire year to actually go through with it. And part of that was because I still was sort of operating from this scarcity mindset financially. I still had these financial fears of not having enough money because of my childhood. So even though I'd fully replaced my income, I was like, it's not enough. I need more. I wanted a buffer room. I wanted to have a good amount in savings as well. So I kept working. And then the other part of that too was just this this pressure, this social expectation. I was really worried about what my family and friends were going to say. Like, are they going to think I'm crazy? I was walking away from a lucrative corporate finance career, one that I was very happy and engaged in and that they all knew I loved. So there was a little bit of that, which at the time felt significant to me. And in hindsight, it is so silly. I mean, everyone, once I quit, everyone was supportive. And more than that, everyone was like, well, how are you doing that? I want to know. I mean, that's exciting. Good for you. Now teach me. So it was yeah. really a positive thing. Um, but I finally quit once we made, once we were making $10,000 a month in passive income. And how did you determine that though, that that was your number? I don't know. I was making... 89,000 full time. So I was on, we were almost there with the passive income, but for some reason to me, it was like, I just want a little bit more buffer. And so that's where I decided to draw the line. Um, with passive income, the way I look at it, first of all, it's no get rich quick scheme, right? It does take time or money to create. But once you have it going, it becomes a lot more hands off. And the epiphany I had several years ago was that once your passive income exceeds your living expenses, you're retired, you're financially independent. At the time, I think we were spending something like $6,000 a month. It's a little bit more now, but I really wanted to have a large buffer in case there was a month where we had a really big tax payment or we had we wanted to go on a really nice trip. So that's why we went for that 10K a month. And now it's more like 15K a month. Right, your goals change, right? Your lifestyle changes and, and, and those sort of things. And um, Growing your family, right? Having a family, that all shifts all those sort of, what that nut is. Um, 
So walk us through though, like just go, go back for one quick moment around your first deal, your second deal. And then was every deal very similar to how, you know, you, it's only six properties, but it's 40 units. So were they all kind of small multis? Did you stick with that focus? Did you kind of shift a little bit and do something different? And, and for each one, second question is for each one was the 200 to $300 a door your goal on every single kind of criteria? Did you follow that kind of throughout your building of your portfolio? So, yeah, so here's our portfolio. We have one duplex, we have two single families, and then we have three multi-building or multi-family properties that have anywhere from 10 to 12 units each. Gotcha. So the, those three were the last ones we bought because those were more expensive. And yeah. by then we had a lot more money accumulated. The single families we didn't buy as investments, they were both our primary, previous primary residences that we kept and are now renting out. Um, but yeah, with I, de- I did stick to the cash flow. I'm trying to think of how, how much we make in profit. I think we make anywhere from 2000 to $3,500 in profit per building for those big three buildings. So it does work out to at least $200 per door. Um, those have always been our requirements. But what I noticed is that as we progressed and as we were able to scale up and buy bigger properties, it was easier to hit those requirements. Because I think I think with multifamily, at least from my own personal experience, I think it's easier to find a good deal. And I, I like multifamily because if you're a new investor starting out and you invest in a single family house, if there's a couple months where that house is vacant, yeah. the the mortgage, I mean, you are having to cover those expenses directly out of pocket. That can just finish somebody very yeah. quickly. Yeah. What I love about multifamily is that if you have a triplex, for example, you have three tenants paying and one one unit is vacant or one tenant isn't paying, you still have those other two tenants, which are probably covering most of the mortgage. So I think it's a little bit easier to handle recessions and time like these with, with those. There's a lot of women uh, in our Facebook community and if you're not in our Facebook community, get over there, invest her. It's a, it's a free community. It's just an amazing community. There's a lot of women in our meetups across the country. We've, you know, tons of meetups across the country that we talk to. And, and a lot of them have like the duplex, the four unit, and they're trying to make that leap to where you've been to a 10 unit, right? And what did you have to shift in your evaluation? you know, or not just your mindset, but your evaluation. As you grow in this business, you do buy larger properties. I know for our, my own mindset, we started the duplex and, you know, we've grown from there. And every time we do a deal, I have to get clear on not just mindset, but also strategy because it is a different strategy. The, the number of doors and your expenses and how you evaluate property, it does shift. It's not, it's not like complete apples and oranges, but it, it does evolve, right? So you had to probably put in some new expenses or line items in your evaluation when you were evaluating that 10 unit versus that duplex. What were those things? Because I think that's a very common thread for a lot of women in our communities that they want to grow into larger stuff, but they're nervous, right? Just like when you haven't done a deal, you're nervous. So what were like things that you learned on your first 10 unit that you wish you knew uh, coming from maybe a smaller multifamily evaluation? Yeah, there were a few shifts we had to make. Um, first of all, the loan. The loan was going to be more expensive because you're moving from a conventional loan to a commercial loan. Not only are your closing costs probably going to be more, but you're going to be paying a higher interest rate. So you need to be able to build that in from the get-go. And there, normally, 
while there are some ways around a 20 to 25% down payment with a conventional loan, for example, if you're house hacking, normally you can't really do that with a commercial loan. So you're going to have to have that 25% down payment almost every time. So it's, it's just more expensive starting out. Um, also, you're going to have to start thinking about systems. You know, before we got our first building, it, we were managing like three or four tenants on our own and they all had our personal cell phone numbers. And we, it was just a very casual arrangement. Once we got that first one where it was suddenly 10 additional tenants, we were like, okay, this probably won't work anymore. We're really going to have to step back and figure out how are we going to systematize this and put processes in place. So we started doing things like using Trello to manage things that Andrew and I both had access to Google Drive. Um, we set up a Google voice number because we didn't want to be giving out our personal cell phones anymore. So we have one Google voice number where all of our tenants contact us. And that was a really great thing that we did. Um, and then the other thing too, I'll say, and this goes back to when you're first analyzing the deal. It doesn't matter if it's a single family or a multifamily or if you never intend on having a property manager you want to build in the expense of having a property manager. Chances are none of us want to quit our full-time job, become full-time landlords. So options are a good thing. Right? Giving yourself the option of hiring a property management company is a good thing. So make sure you build that in from the get-go. Make sure the numbers still work so that later on you're a property manager and you're still making profit. That makes yeah. so much sense. Because I think that sometimes, you know, if if we want to make a deal work, we kind of like tweak the numbers here and there, and that will bite us later on. And so what you're saying, it kind of puts, it forces us to all put the emotion aside, okay? And run the numbers as if I'm hiring somebody with all the expenses over there. The numbers need to make sense. If they don't, that doesn't fit your criteria. Then either you need to get it for a lower price or figure it out a way to increase the rent. Then you're gonna have a higher construction cost. You gotta look at the numbers but I will not budget on what you're saying, exactly what you're saying right now. I think that it, it puts everybody in a better position from the gecko, from the gecko until, you know, moving forward. So I, I'm curious to see like, what, where is your head right now? Where you're going? Yeah, a lot of people are surprised that I've stopped acquiring rentals. You know, some other investors are, are surprised that I don't want to build this huge multi-million dollar empire. But that's what I think is so beautiful about owning rental properties. For me, it's a means to an end. I'm not so passionate that this is all I want to do, but this provides such a great source of income that it frees me up to do what I love to do. And for me, that's writing my books and running my courses and teaching young women about financial literacy. That is what I love to do. A lot of people look at me and they're like, well, Rachel, you're not retired. You're still working. And I'm like, <laughs> well, you're right. You're right. I mean, the way I view retirement, I use the words retired and financially independent interchangeably. There are some people that want to retire and do the beach thing or, you know, do golf and that's great i just personally i get bored so easily guys so like, right. i always have to I have do beach for a week two weeks yeah straight, right not Before even that like long yeah <laughs> six months at the beach i'll be like huh, all right i guess i had enough sand over exactly. here <laughs> yeah and the beautiful thing about achieving financial independence through real estate and creating passive income is that it does free up the time 
for you to pursue the things you're passionate about. And now I get to work when, where, and if I want. Rachel, I think that you are just expressing and allowing other women that are listening to you to do the same. Because uh, all of us, all the women here, we understand the power of real estate. However, we want to become financially free and live life on our own terms and do whatever we want to do. If I want to paint all day or if I want to become a tattoo artist or whatever that might be, a dancer, whatever. I don't know what it is. Uh, and I think that that's the case. And many women struggle with wanting to have this like passion about real estate and defining themselves as real estate investors, period. And I think that that is like a mental struggle because I love real estate. I really do. I love construction, but I also like other things that I would like to pursue. So what you're saying, I'm really like taking a step back here and, and emphasizing, and I, for those of you that are listening, you're not the only one that are also thinking, yeah, I like real estate, but I really, really wanted to, you know, go to Maui and, and donate my time to, I don't know, to the, I don't know, to whatever cause you want to do. Right. And I, I really want to commend you for really standing, putting your feet down and saying, no, no, I don't want to build, I don't know how many units because that does not define me and who I am and what my goals are. So I really commend you for, for that. Thank yeah. you. And I would add to that too, that it doesn't even have to be about quitting your job necessarily. There are so many women that love their job. My, my sister is a perfect example. She's a postpartum nurse. I once asked her, if you won the lottery, what would you do with your life? And she was like, I would be a postpartum nurse. I love what I do. And I think that's amazing. Yeah. So I think the way to look at it is not necessarily, I mean, some people want to escape their job and that's sure. fine. Everyone does, but would an extra $1,000, $2,000, $5,000 per month in profit from your rentals change your life, impact your life for the better? And if so, I think it's something that everyone can consider. Yeah. And I love your path that it's not about the number of unit units, but it's about the goals that you're achieving. And I, I say that to people all the time, you know, and people are like, oh, how many units do you own? You know, a lot of these events, it's like, that shouldn't be the first question, first off. And second <laughs> off, that actually doesn't mean anything. You can, you can own literally 2% of 25,000 units and be making nothing. I mean, so it really doesn't matter, but it yeah. matters to know what you need, when you need it, and how you're going to get those returns. So I love that. Um, and we can't wait to see what you do next. It's really awesome. <laughs> you, got a, you got a long life ahead of you. You got a lot of neat things ahead of you, you know? So, uh, Rachel, where can the ladies listening learn more about you and follow all the great things you're up to? Both of my books, Money, Honey, and Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement, are available on Amazon in ebook, paperback, and audiobook. Um, my Instagram is Money, Honey, Rachel. And what I'd love to do is give your listeners my Passive Income Starter Kit for free. So if anyone wants to download that, you can go to moneyhoneyrachel.com slash bonus. Oh my gosh, I love that. I love all of that. If you Yay! guys are listening. <laughs> So all this information you guys can find on our show notes. Now we're going to transition to our fabulous three questions. And the first one, Rachel, is what's the most transformational book you have ever read? 
I, I can't just say one. I have to say two. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. He's absolutely amazing. Definitely helps me deal with some anxiety and depression that I had experienced in a couple years ago. So that one. And then the five love languages, absolutely transformational for for defining the way you communicate, whether it's with your significant other, a friend, a client, a tenant. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. I couldn't agree more with that. And, you know, it gives yourself uh, a lot of information about who you are, what you value, and when you express that to somebody and, uh, you know, you, you know that that is how that they're giving love and how you want to receive love. That's that's awesome book. Second question is, what's the most powerful routine that you do to create a financially free and balanced life? The most powerful routine is gratitude. And I, I won't I won't like lie and say that I do this every single day. I used to think I need to have a daily routine and do it every day. I really use this as a tool for when I'm feeling angry or frustrated, or I'm just not as happy with things as I should be. And then I'll be like, I need to get more serious about my gratitude. So what I'll do is I'll list out five things at the end of each day that I'm grateful for. And it is absolutely amazing. Once you just do this for a few days, you're, you will notice that your mind throughout the day is starting to look for things that you're grateful for and starting to recognize, oh, I'm going to write that down later in my gratitude journal. So I even think a 30 day exercise of doing that can be extremely transformational. Absolutely. The last question is, which woman, famous or not, has inspired you the most? Uh, both of my grandmothers. They are absolutely amazing women. Single mothers that raise their kids on their own. Very, very poor. One of my grandmothers was on food stamps and, and even had to bring herself out of that. And they went on to become so successful. One of them was a math professor. I mean, they're just absolutely the most strong, independent women that I know. Awesome. Rachel, thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you for sharing all your great knowledge and your inspirational way of being with, with uh, the women that listen to our show. So thank you for being here and so excited to see what you do next. And thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community and get updates on upcoming episodes. If you like our show, please share it with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.